this is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode eight of the show where we are picking up our journey through early Marvels in, uh, what is August? Yeah, August of 1962. Um, last episode, we covered the issues that came out the first week of August, which was August 2nd. And this is going to be starting with the two issues that came out the second week of August, August 9th. And they're both Fantastic Four related. So for at least a little while, we're going to be just basically ripping off the Fantastic cast. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they're the trailblazers. We're just following along. They have done 17 issues or or, uh, 17 years. (laughs) I was going to say, that's not that many. Right. So, wow. What episode, what issue are they up to then, probably? Um, They have passed the end of the Adam Warlock saga. I remember they covered the Marvel 2-in-1 annual from 1975. So they're in 75 or 76 by now. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing when a podcast lasts, isn't it? Okay. So, um, yeah. Strange Tales. Do they cover Strange Tales? They did cover Strange Tales. Uh. Those poor guys. Well, we're going to yeah. cover it, too. Right. So we will suffer with them. Yes, they're not alone. And I have to suffer the most on this one because I have to summarize Strange Tales number 102. Ha-ha. Um, we open with, for those new to the show, we do this without looking, so that's why I'm pausing and you can hear, like, the hamster wheel turning. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're. There's a, we open with, like, there's a guy... Named the Wizard. I don't know if he has a real name. I can't remember. But he's the Wizard. Not in this, he doesn't. Okay. So he is the Wizard. And everybody knows he's the Wizard. He's a famous dude. He's very rich. He's like Bill Gates, but he like invented crazy stuff like the air chair. Um, And he has like a horrible goatee and stuff. So in that respect, he's not Bill Gates. But just very, very rich and very powerful. And he also dabbles in... Uh, being an escape artist and all this stuff. But none of that's good enough because his genius isn't being challenged until he realizes I should take on the human torch. That would be like a nice final chapter from my audio autobiography, I guess. So how does he do this? Oh yeah. So he goes and makes a big public display about this new drill he created and he drills into the ground and then he purposely makes it look like, the ground caves in on him and then he's going to die. Really, he's fine and he's going to have like weeks of oxygen and stuff down there. But the whole point was he wanted to create a disaster a la Lois Lane to attract Superman a la the Human Torch. So Torchy shows up, saves him. He's all pretending to be grateful. Let's go back to my place. Goes back to his cool glass tower mansion thingy full of awesome inventions and stuff. And he douses the torch with uh, fire extinguishers. And locks him in a closet. Um, As one does. As one does, yeah. So, Torch defeated, but that's not good enough. I'm going to ruin his rep, too. So, he puts on this, like, uh, asbestos suit thing with, like, a technology doohickey, vest doohickey thing so that he can, like, light himself on fire, essentially. And then he goes around robbing banks. He, like, lets prisoners loose from jail. I think that's all he really accomplishes because Johnny's like, um, this is just a closet and I can go supernova, which he does and obliterates the closet. Um, and then he goes looking for the wizard. He finds him just driving around and the wizard's like, listen, I know you can't hurt me because you're a morally upstanding person. So why don't you just come back to my house and we'll figure all this out. So Johnny agrees to that. And when he gets there, the wizard pulls wizard. I keep trying to call him wizard because I've been watching uh Jessica Jones, but it's the wizard. Uh, <laughs> I love that they had the wizard on Jessica Jones. That made they had, me so happy. They had a wizard on Jessica Jones anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, they're all like modifications. But, right. but yeah, he was there. Yeah, that was cool. With mongoose uh, references. And a, and a yellow sweatshirt. But yes. uh, so the wizard, though, not the wizard, pulls out photographs that show evidence of him impersonating the torch. And he says, there's a couple options here. Either... You can do nothing, and I'll throw these in the fire, and then you'll lose you'll lose uh, all the evidence that you can that you need to clear your name. Or you power down and fight me man to man. You can't fight me as the Human Torch because you'll kill me. So fight me man to man, but I'll be able to see who you really are, secret identity. Um, and the Human Torch says, actually, 
I have another power that you don't know about. I can move things with my mind. Ooh. And he starts doing stuff with his hand, and the pictures start moving and pull out of the wizard's like hand and go into the torches. And the wizard's just like, what? And then like before he can figure out what's going on, the police show up and arrest him. And he's just like, but, but, but how did he do that? And then it's revealed that how he did that was he called his big sister who went there invisible and took the pictures and made it look like the human torch had powers. And they walk away into the sunset and him telling her, thanks a lot. The end. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to spend a lot of time on this issue. Nope. Uh, the wizard for yeah. being a somewhat important dude in fantastic four lore yeah. has rather ignominious beginnings. Oh my Christ. He is one weird looking dude in this He's, issue. He is very weird looking. Like, take Kylo Ren's long nose face, make it even longer, and then, like, like take a triple and cut out the center of it and, like, stick it on his chin. I don't know. The, the shape of his facial hair is so weird. It is. It's very weird. He looks like he's got a big, long monkey face. Yeah. And pointy ears. And he has no forehead. But he lives in the Jetsons' house. He lives in the Jetsons' house. Basically. Um, and I just looked up the artist. It's still Jack Kirby with Dick Ayers as inker. So it's not like we're off theme here. Although I also noticed there's a credit for Larry Lieber. Has that happened before? That'd be, that'd be writing. Um, Lieber, I don't, I haven't really been paying that much attention to the credits. He may be scripting more often. I think he scripts the next Thor episode that we might get to this issue, this episode. Okay. So Stan's um, getting, Stan's getting taxed and he's starting to have people, uh, do the dialogue. And honestly, Kirby's getting pencil credits, but he might be doing light pencils. I, I imagine. Because he's doing he's, so much. Yeah. Eventually, they, I think they start calling those breakdowns. Like, right. Like, you did the decision making, but you didn't do any detail work. Right. You plotted it out. You broke down the page structures, but you didn't really do the drawing. Right. Um, we made it to page six. Oh, <laughs> okay. So, the wizard is chilling out, like, thinking about how cool he is. And his coolness is that he can be Houdini. He can beat the computer at battle chess on hard mode. Oh, yeah. I forgot about chess. Yeah. Um, and we That's not a computer, by the way. That's like a weird Reed Richards robot. But I just That's because they had no concept of home computers. <laughs> Neither here nor there, but I just found that amusing that it was like a, a big old computer with little tiny like Tyrannosaurus Rex arms doing chess. <laughs> to move the chess pieces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we get to page six before the uh-huh. torch even shows up. And so that was kind of interesting. They spent a lot of time developing the wizard before they brought him on, which, you know, it's cool and all, but still as impressive as they try to make it, it's not as impressive as they want it to be. Yeah. I like, I don't get the wizards. I mean, God, not to get too like modern storytelling on these 1962 comics, but what the heck is his motivation? Cause it seems like he has it all. Why does he need to do this? I don't know. It's he like, has more I, than the torch. Yeah. He like, feels like going in and humiliating a teenager is his crowning achievement. Yeah, he's like famous, so he doesn't. The torch is famous, but he's famous too. He's got a big, huge house, so clearly he's rich from all his, you know, whatever he does. Um, he's invented all these cool things that apparently people like. Although, really, he only says the air chair, and I'm not sure that ever was sold at Target. But um, <laughs> I do like your name for it, though. That's pretty good. Pretty the good air chair. Name. Yeah, isn't that what it is, literally, or did I mess that up? No, I just I, that, that's a cool name. Oh, yeah, he calls it. The air Does chair. he call it the air chair? Yeah. Okay, air hyphen well, chair. Uh, I, I didn't know. I didn't remember that. And I was going to give you credit. Okay. I'll take it. Mine's okay. without a hyphen. <laughs> um, or, or or somebody else tries to take it and like make it cool. Like just the word chair but with a capital A. So it looks right. like chair. Um, so on page seven or eight, whichever one you want to go to, when he, he attacks the torch mm-hmm. and – with uh what does he use well he says it's a 3d photography camera and like what i what i'm imagining is that he tells the torch it's 3d photography there's like oh i never had a 3d picture taken and i imagine the wizard like mentally laughing he thinks 3d photography is a thing (laughs) yeah and then he side note i should invent 3d photography right Uh, that's 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 such worthwhile that's how marvel works um but anyway, yeah, he uses like fire extinguisher on him, but you'll notice that he doesn't lose flame on his head. Right. Right? Because obviously, secret identity. Secret identity. 
Uh, so later in the issue, right, why doesn't he just go back to this? Oh, is that your punchline? Sorry. I, that's that's what I'm going to say. It's like they're setting up that he can be flameless enough to fight somebody without catching them on fire. But then the whole thing, the whole conceit at the end of the, the story is you have to deflame completely in order to fight me and not mm. kill me. But I'll know your secret identity. Like, so forget well, about consistency across the course of the series and the universe. No, right. We don't even have consistency within this issue. Right. And I yeah. still don't. I still don't really love the way they they uh, portray Johnny yet. The whole faceless thing. I don't know. It takes away some of his character somehow. You like him having like like fire eyes and fire yeah. mouth in his face. I, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to when someone finally figures that out. Like he still looks like Jim Hammond right now. Well, he's he's in a lot of the shots. He's a red figure with yellow flames coming off. Right. He's he's less of like fire shaped like a human. No, he's that's more true. like a yeah. he's more of a red human now with with so they are refining it. It is a process. Yeah, instead of like Alex Ross, you know, Marvel's cover number one, where it looks like a guy literally on fire, he's like a red guy with lots of black lines to indicate that's fire. Mm-hmm. But they're still not giving him facial features, so he has no yeah. real expression. He's like the question. He's flying around like the question essentially. So Johnny calls his sister for help. Yeah, but I like it that works. A lot. I like that he calls his sister. Well, I like that Johnny as a character calls his sister. I don't like that this solo series for a superhero, he's already having to rely on other people for help. And he's going to do that a lot over the course of the series. Um, well, they had Thing make a, r- a random and pointless cameo in the last issue. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're just trying to make sure the Fantastic Four shows up in this solo TV show so that they get ratings, you know? I, I guess, but... It's weird because you don't know they're going to show up when you get the issue. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. So why are they even there? Yeah. Um, but when she when when they do get to the part where Sue's involved, it's all very convenient. Like there was no way Johnny could have known ahead of time how this is going to play out. He's like, Sue, just just be there, you know, in case I need you. Yeah. And then maybe he's just hoping she'll take the hint when he starts doing the googly magic thing. I can imagine Sue rolling her eyes. Oh yeah. Whenever he's waving it. It's like, oh yeah. Oh come on, Johnny. That's. But she still she takes the pictures and everything else and well maybe the backup plan was she just punches him in the face and he falls over because it's not like he's super powered or anything that's true uh, but I I love that she shows up I'm I'm uh you know I like Sue Storm I I guess I'm kind of like have a huge crush on her I'll just have to admit it because for some reason she works for me even these early issues like she's like the sane person amongst the craziness you know mm-hmm. and I like that she plays the role of the big sister like like this to her is just like. On her way to Starbucks or something. This isn't even that big a deal. Um, let me just help out my baby brother real fast and then get back to what I was doing. Okay. I, I can see it like that. That, that, that does it, work for me. I don't know. I thought that was fun. I think it's it, it's probably – it's a better moment. It's a better character beat for Sue than it is for Johnny. Yeah. Or at least it's you know a character beat, which is nice because so far the last two issues have been secret identity problems and being a superhero problem. So it's nice that – by the way, I'm a member of a family, and I have a sister. And do they talk about them living together? Don't they? Was um, that in the beginning, when he calls her, or at the beginning, maybe? Does it say that he lives with her? I swear it said that somewhere, but maybe I'm imagining things. I'm trying to find where he calls, where he makes the phone call. I don't think that shows that. Oh yeah, page six. Um, when when the wizard pretends to be stuck in the ground, they're watching TV. Uh-huh. The two of them together at home. In the, the home, home of Johnny and Sue Storm. Yeah. Okay. So everybody knows that she's an Invisible Woman, and she lives with her kid brother, who nobody knows is the Torch. Yeah. That's just right. Just more stuff to bug me. <laughs> um, well, I mean, this- theoretically, he could be anybody. It doesn't have to be Batman's brand new Ward of the State. It's really <laughs> budding around with him as yeah, that's true. Robin. Is this the? It- oh, it's the Fantastic Four. Never mind. What? I was going to say, what issue is it where there's like the big? One page splash of how his powers work, but I guess that's next issue. That's Fantastic Four. Yeah, which actually came out, you know, the same time as this did. So it kind yeah. of, yeah, you know, the consistency thing earlier. They they clarify how his powers work this week in the Fantastic Four eight. Mm-hmm. So you think they would have done it right here? But shall we go over there? What to Fantastic Four eight? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. ready. Oh yeah, all right. Um, closing up Strange Tales, which is not available on Comicsology. So, um, not available at find, all. No, mm. at least not the Torch series. I didn't look for the later stuff with you know Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, or Doctor. I'm sure Doctor Strange is on there because they have collections of Doctor Strange. You know what I but, noticed? They don't have Tales of Suspense cap stories. 
Really? Just Iron Man. Huh. Okay, I would look for a like a collection maybe if maybe they have him in like well, a Well, yeah. That's what I was looking like a, for, but Okay. Maybe they I believe but you know you. what? We noticed that we as in me and someone on Facebook noticed that your Ant-Man was called Ant-Man instead of Tales to Astonish. Yes. So, so maybe there is a Captain America tale and I was just looking under Tales of Suspense instead of Captain America or something. Oh, that's possible. Look at Captain America. I might have those. Yeah. Because the numbering continues for him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, oh, this is the wrong issue of Fantastic Four. This is next issue. This is where I stopped reading, not where I need to start reading. We want number okay. eight. Number eight, which introduces the Puppet Master. Yes. The greatest Fantastic Four villain of all time. Really? No. Because <laughs> I could have kind of made fun to, of them. <laughs> I was trying to build the kids up a little bit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so we open with uh, the thing has just gotten home from somewhere. He's still got his sunglasses and his big old, you know, Michigan coat on and everything. And <laughs> he wants to come inside and talk to his family. And they're like, no, 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 no thing. You've got to stay out there. That's it. Just stay out there. Good boy. It's a good boy. And things like, Psh, I don't know what y'all are talking about, but I want to come inside. And they're like, no, Reed's working on something. You can't go in. And he starts wrecking stuff. He, first of all, he sets Sue aside so she wouldn't get hurt whenever he goes on a tirade. Um, and Johnny starts fighting with them. And then Reed's like, okay, I can explain why I didn't want you in my lab. And things like, I don't care about your explanations. I'm quitting the team. Fantastic Four can go hang. I'm going to go find someone who appreciates me. Blah, blah, blah. I'm a monster now and I hate myself. Yeah. Um, out and about, there is a dude on a bridge who's about to fall to his death. The Human Torch saves him. While this is happening, we are going back and forth between that scene and a mysterious hand moving a little teeny tiny clay figure of that guy on the bridge and knocking him off the bridge. And then whenever he tries to touch the figure, the figure's hot because Johnny Storm's on fire. And um, the pub master's like, oh, the only person who could possibly make this thing hot to the touch is the Human Torch. So the Human Torch will be the puppet master's next victim. Um because this is strange shells, evidently. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> at that point, the puppet master, who's this like, you know, bald, huge googly eyed person, this, uh, his stepdaughter comes into where he's playing with his toys and she is blind. She is Alicia and she is the stepdaughter of the puppet master. And he is hiding from her what he is doing. He's like, no, get out. I'm not, I'm fine. Never call me father. I'm your stepfather. Get out of here. Um, so he goes to make some more clay figures, uh, details of the plot. He, um, he makes the thing <laughs> uh -huh. and he tricks the thing into coming to his house. Mm -hmm. He also notices that Alicia looks like the invisible. Oh no. First of all, that he gets the thing to come to his house. Now, Susan, who has left Fantastic Four headquarters to try to calm the thing down because the thing is still in love with Susan Storm. Um, she follows him. She tries to talk to him. He goes into a trance while they're talking. She follows him to the place where the puppet master lives. She's invisible. She follows him up the flights of stairs. And whenever he goes into the puppet master's house, Alicia's like, I sense another heartbeat. I can hear another person breathing. He's like, the only other person who could be in this room breathing without us seeing them is the invisible girl. And the only way we can make her not be invisible is if we all wear gas masks and put out knockout gas. <laughs> so he turns on the knockout gas, which he just has rigged up just for this occasion. Right. Susan Storm goes unconscious and goes back to visibility, mm -hmm. which he was hoping would happen. The whole plan would kind of fall apart if she stayed invisible while she was unconscious. Where is the, where is the unconscious body? I don't know. Um, and he's like, oh, hey, look, <laughs> Alicia, you look just like this girl. You know what? We're going to use that. So um, he cuts her hair and does up her makeup and puts her in Sue's clothing, which we're not going to talk about the weirdness of that aspect of things. And um, sends Alicia as Sue with the thing back to the Fantastic Four's headquarters. 
Um, I forget exactly what happens next, except that I know that he organizes a prison riot with his puppets. Like, mm-hmm. he makes the trustee take the keys with a puppet of the trustee. And he has all these little action figures of all the different prisoners in the jail. And he yeah. makes them move out into a riot. Um, and so the Fantastic Four have to go put off the riot. Now, they figure out that, oh, yeah, here's the thing. So whenever fake Sue and the thing get back to the Fantastic Four headquarters, Reed is like, okay, drink this and makes the thing drink it. And what was going on earlier is that Reed was working on a solution to things transformation and having drunk the solution, he turns back to Ben Grimm and he's like, oh, are we still best buds? Cause you love me. Yeah. We're still best buds. Cause I love you. And, um, then Reed realizes, hey, wait, this isn't Sue. This is some girl dressed like Sue. And she tells him about her stepfather. And they go put out the prison riot. And then back at the Puppet Master's house, he has made a his greatest puppet of all, which is himself dressed up in king's robes and a crown. And he's like, I'm king of the world now. And she's like, no, you're not king of the world. And she... Knocks the puppet out of his hand. He runs to get the puppet. He trips over her hand and falls out the window. And um, they're like, oh, no, we'll never know what really happened to the puppet master. And the last <laughs> shot is the puppet fallen over on the floor. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple, somewhere in there, there was a chase scene involving giant robots. That he was mentally controlling his puppets. And there was another winged horse because winged horses are a thing this month for, for Jack and Stan. Um, but, yeah. And then the last panel... After the last panel is Alicia saying, oh, no, he tripped over me and fell out the window. That's what happened to him. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, when it takes a long time to summarize a plot is when it's mm-hmm. a horrible plot. Because <laughs> I'm listening to you and it's like, he's not wrong, but like, this is just so meandering and all over the place. <laughs> it's like, that is how it happened. The best stuff in the issue is all the stuff that doesn't have the puppet master in it. Yeah. Um, you have the stuff of Fantastic Four headquarters with the fight and thing getting his feelings hurt, coming back, being turned back into um, Ben Grimm. You have um, them finding out Alicia and realizing that she's in trouble and that and she looks like Sue. Um, and, oh, the biggest kicker is that she um, kind of hints at having a thing for Ben. And whenever he's human, he hugs her and says it's going to be okay. And she's like... I think you're the same person, but it's different. And then while he's holding her, he transforms back into the thing. And she's like, oh, that's that's the man I met earlier. That's the strong, gentle soul or whatever it is that she says. So, so one clarification to your summary is he didn't say, hey, Ben, drink this. Ben came home, tried to kill them because he's under the puppet master's control. And he, oh, yeah. he smashes the serum or the formula and it goes all over him and then later when he changes back he says oh i think once this formula dries off it stops working so we will see if this formula thing like comes back like if he just lotions himself every day will he stay ben right or or do they never address again that that kind of worked but kind of didn't it's a little bit weird that we're here in fantastic four because like for our first couple episodes this was such a fantastic four heavy show Mm -hmm. but that's been a while since we were here yeah and the Puppet Master feels like a really important Fantastic Four villain, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm wondering if maybe he's just important for bringing in Alicia. It could be. I don't know that I've ever really read any legit. I'm trying to think if if Puppet Master was ever in the Burn stuff because that's mostly the Fantastic Four I've read, like with any sort of consistency. Mm-hmm. I want to say he was, but I don't remember what the plot was. But it seems to me that you know, as far as Rogues Gallery go, the fan. Fantastic Four have the Puppet Master in their gallery quite often. So he must do something better than this. Yeah. I just don't know what it is. This is this is silliness. <laughs> so the other thing is, like, it's not he doesn't just make puppets, he makes puppets made of some radioactive clay that he just found. Right. He found which, radioactive clay. It doesn't say where. It doesn't say if anybody playing with this clay could make this happen or if it's him. I wa- I feel like maybe in future issues they'll just say, no, nah, never mind, he was a mutant or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know what the heck is wrong with Alicia's mom that she married this guy. Because he, <laughs> he is the creep-tastic-y looking creepiest dude. Okay, 
Ugly people need love too. Okay, ugly people need love, but creepy serial killer. Like I don't know. Most people probably know what the puppet master looks like, but how would we describe him if you don't? He's short, bald. He's got very thin, huge eyes. Huge eyes with eyelashes, like individual eyelashes, like pretty I'm a girl eyelashes, and really thin lips, and a really creepy smile that goes across his entire face. He's look. He looks like an evil doll. Which I was thinking. That, I was about to say the exact same thing. He looks like a doll head, which on makes a person sense. Body puppet master, right? But not all artists will draw him this inhuman looking. Mm-hmm. There are some. Um, I think Don Heck does some puppet master work in the later '60s, where he just looks like a bald dude. Yeah, um, there's not really anything to distinguish him from anyone else. Um, but I seriously, and I never really thought about this before. But when I was reading the page of the Human Torch saving the guy from the bridge, and the pub master like, oh, the only person who could have made this figure high is the Human Torch. He's going to be my next victim. I honestly thought, could this have been a Strange Tales plot idea mm. that they kept toying and playing with and turned into a Fantastic Four story? Could be. And now that you were saying, I don't know how much Fantastic Four or he's in, I went and looked at his appearances and he's going to be in three issues of Strange Tales before that run ends. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, he kind of is a Strange Tales bad guy who's in a Fantastic Four story. I want, I just, I think like the biggest detriment to the story is that he doesn't seem consistent as far as how he works. Oh, yeah. His, his powers are the kind of thing that look really cool and are really neat surface level thought. But as soon as you put, any concentration to how does this work, it falls apart. Like, it clearly establishes he plays with radioactive clay. He mm-hmm. makes a puppet of John Wilson, and then he could do whatever he wants. He could make John Wilson wave. He could. I don't even know if he has to physically move them or not, although he does love his models. Like, everything mm-hmm. has to have a model. So that seems like any plot that he comes up with, he's going to have to take his time. He can't just do anything on the fly. If he has to create recreate an entire prison to have a prison break – um, that would suck. I don't know if he really has to do that or if he's just doing that. Like when he's holding Sue and he makes her trip, did he actually like push the doll over or does he just will her to trip and she trips? You know, I think we saw him like pinch the feet of the doll and her feet got pinched together as she was running. That's right. She fell. Okay. You're right. That's you're exactly right. So what he said. In the prison riot though, does he make individual figures for every single prisoner? Right. Or is there some sort of like crowd control? Right. And does he have to know what they all look like? Um, and like things like and, have, making the thing come to his house. Like, what does he do? Does he make like a create like a Fantastic Four building and then go do 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 and have him like walk to the to his like little fake uh, apartment? Or does he just hold the things thing or things thing? Whoops, sorry everybody. Does he hold the things uh, puppet and then just will him to come? Because the thing was like in a trance. Like he he wasn't just physically forced to move there. He was like mentally under a spell. Mm-hmm. And then later on in the part that I kind of glossed over whenever he's has the giant robot attacking the Fantastic Four and he's flying away on the giant mechanical horse, mm-hmm. he calls them mentally controlled puppets. Okay. So that's where the inconsistency comes in even more so. We were, we were slamming on the parts that I already think are consistent, sadly. The parts that I think are inconsistent are all of a sudden he now has giant robots and giant flying horse robots. Um, and they're not even puppets. They're actual things that he is somehow mentally controlling, but yeah. not with a puppet. Where'd those come from? Did he make those? He must have. Well, he, I, I guess because he calls them puppets. That's a whole lot of clay, though, right? They look metal. They do. They have rivets. So, so that I was weird. Is, and then the biggest is inconsistency is he makes a puppet of himself and declares himself king and has all these fantasies about being king. And it's like, but that's not how your power works. Well, see, I think I actually read that and I hadn't – and I, I've, I saw a lot in this comic I hadn't really seen before. And some of it is the not liking aspects. But this – I read this as I've returned in order to manipulate my greatest puppet of all. And he goes over and he grabs a puppet of himself as king and he sees – he says, I wish you could see it, Alicia. It is a small figure of me. As uh, the ruler of all the world. Okay. So, but do you think he's just being creepy here and playing with toys? Or do you think that 
somehow he can hold a toy of himself and will that to happen, even though really what he would have to do is control everybody else into thinking he's king. I think he's losing touch with reality here. Okay. He thinks that he can make that happen. Okay. I think this last two pages of all we see is descent into megalomania. Okay. And he's like, if I can just have, if I can manipulate this puppet of me as king, I can be king. And so whenever Alicia tries to stop him, he's like, how dare you speak to me? I'm the puppet master. Like I'm king of the world. Okay. I'm down with that one. When I read it, it was like, well, this is just silly. And even more inconsistent than giant robots. But I'm cool with him going crazy because he does look crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, his relationship with Alicia is really horrible. And um, I hope they explore that more. I assume they will. Like just right out of the gate. Don't call me dad ever. Call me your stepfather. Yeah. You know, like most stepfathers hopefully don't say that to their kids. Well, I've had three. Yeah. Um, one hated me because he reminded me. I reminded him of his of my dad. Okay. Um, one, they were only married briefly. I didn't really know him very well. And he spent a lot of that time in jail. Um, the third, the man who my mom's married to for like a couple of decades now, I think he would have been proud to have me consider him as my father. Right. Um, that never happened. And our relationship never went that direction, mm-hmm. but it just goes to show that the you know, stepfathers come in all kinds. Um, so this guy is terrible. Right. It's but, kind of like he keeps the her opposite. around. He does. He keeps her around kind of like Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. She can't really Which, do anything because she's blind. So she, I guess, well, that was really mean of me. For all I know, she could do whatever she wants. But maybe I, I assume that she was kind of a kept person because of her disability. Um, I imagine he's the very much the sort of person who would encourage weakness, like have her right. learn helplessness. And she totally does whatever he wants. She lets him cut her hair, dye her hair, cut her hair. Dress her up in his spare Invisible Woman costume because he doesn't take Sue's. She's wearing hers still. Um, okay. He just has uh, a Fantastic Four costume. So Maybe they played this game before. Creepy. But uh, wow. And then he has her go back to the tower for no good reason that I can come up with. Um, I'm not sure what the plan was for that. Just go He'll there. Play a harmless little prank for me. But he. But what was the prank? Yeah, I don't know. If anything, that just. I mean, Reed immediately. Hey, Reed maybe is interested in Invisible Woman again because he actually noticed that that was an Invisible Woman girl. And when they play out their little act, I shall prove my power in another way, and he goes and makes the jailbreak happen. But yeah, there doesn't seem to be any like punchline to the gag of him being Mm-mm. of her being with the Fantastic Four. No, she's just there now to explain to them who the Puppet Master is and where to go find him. So if anything, it was bad for him to send her. Yeah. Okay. So here are a few things though. Um, with the thing now, the f- you know if, if by chance you're a first time listener, I have been going under the head canon that ever since the first issue it is explicitly stated that all of the stuff with Ben Grimm and Susan Storm there is definitely subtext there that he is still in love with her. Um, and so in the beginning of this issue, whenever he's getting ready to go you know ape shit on Johnny, he picks up Sue and sets her out of the way so that she'll be safe. Um, now that may just be misogyny or, you know, gallantry, but I, I, but I, 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 you know, I think there's something there. Um, page three, um, whenever he's all upset at the group, she says, Ben, you can't walk out like this. We need you. He says, sure. That's why you treat me like Dracula's brother. Yeah. Um, and And then he also said right before you only call me Ben when you want something. Right. And get lost, sister. Save that sob stuff for Reed. He eats it up. There's, you know, there's that jealousy going on. Yeah. He likes this woman. Can't have her. And he's upset about it again. Because he's, you know, his life is, honestly, Ben Grimm's life is shit right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so later in the story, whenever Alicia is there, they use, first of all, they're using the fact that Jack Kirby can't draw different faces very well. Um <laughs> For, for women especially, as part of the plot, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. But using the fact that um, Alicia looks like Sue. Uh-huh. And now Ben Grimm starts to develop a thing for Alicia. She certainly has one for him. But because he looks like – she looks like Susan, I think, is a big part of it. Does he say that, though? Because um, what's funny to know, me is, like, it fools nobody. Like, immediately after they deal with the thing trying to kill them, the first thing Reed says is, that girl – that's not Sue. 
Well, I think it's funny because like it takes him that long to get there. Like, well, he was being punched and stuff before that, so they didn't really have yeah, a chance true. to look at her. What well, because because in page nine, when Thing is under the trance, mm-hmm. this woman dressed like Sue with Sue's hair and Sue's face is yeah. caressing his head. Yeah, and I'm just like, ah, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, this has got to be. If he's at all aware of what's going on around him, this has got to be torture for him. And then. Um, the next time we see him talking with Alicia, she's saying, tell me where I am. Who are you? Yeah. He says the poor kid's blind. He immediately takes her in his arms um, and tries to comfort her. Um, and then they do the whole thing where he changes back to the thing and she likes it better as the thing. She, so I don't know. She senses that he is a powerful person with a tragic but gentle soul. Right. Which is cool. She really has no other character except for that so far. At this point, yeah, they're going to do some other stuff with her later. But at this point, she is just the tragic stepdaughter of the villain. Who's going to love the thing? Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if they realize that that's going to be the subplot yet. Maybe they do. But um, How about this art, though? I don't know. Like We were just talking about how Strange Tales looked awfully strange. But this, this must be where Kirby's putting in his energy because I think a lot of these mm-hmm. pictures are pretty awesome. Yeah, his art throughout this is really, really great. And then there's this... Um, uh, thing that i alluded to in the wrong issue where is it now the one page uh how human torches power works oh, before we get that is that okay. one of the two thought one or two other thoughts um reed trying to fix ben mm-hmm. this is our actual first glimpse of him trying actively to do that yeah and i i was reminded of superman and candor and how we don't actually see superman make efforts to save candor he always yeah. says he will one day i'll figure that out but we never actually see him try anything. Um, because if he does and fails, then how super could he be? Right. So with Reed, it's like if he tries and continues to fail, how smart could he be? And know. at the very end of the story, whenever he falls out the window, the implication is that he died. But they don't actually say that on screen. There's like, oh, he fell out the window. Mm. And this could only be a two-story fall. Like I looked through to figure out how high their window was. And the only indication we have is the thing is coming up the stairs at one point. You can see another staircase in the background. So this might only be a two-story fall, which would be enough to hurt him, but not enough to kill him. I don't know. He's going head first, though. Yeah, I fell out of a second-story window when I was a baby. Oh. Babies, so, are, I mean, babies are bendy, though. Yeah. Yeah, so I bounced. He probably got hurt. Yeah. He is a fragile little puppet guy. So I don't know. Yeah, obviously he doesn't die because he comes back. So, but I, I always thought this was like he dies in the story, and they just ignore that later. I'm just saying, like, just going strictly by what's on the page. Yeah, they don't have to conclude that he died. But then, yeah, then we get to the torch pinup. Yeah, and I don't even know what I want to say about it other than I thought it was cool that they dedicated time and energy to explaining some nonsense. We get a little bit of unstable molecules description, like how that actually kind mm-hmm. of sort of works in a way that doesn't make any sense. The, the thing that stuck out to me the most is. He automatically deflames when you touch him, it says. Mm-hmm. That's not good. So all you have to do is like walk up and touch him and he can. Yeah. He says, when touching another human being, I automatically turn off the flame of the part of my body, which is establishing contact. So because people probably wrote in and went, how could the human torch pick anybody up? Because you'll notice the last few appearances of human torch, they really make sure his arms aren't on fire when he's holding somebody. Mm-hmm. But to have it automatic, I don't know. That's no good. Yeah, sometimes he's going to want to touch somebody's face and stay warm. Right. And actually like singe off their face. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I also thought that like the talk about his bedroom down there. So I felt like a little <laughs> bit of strange tales was sort of seeping into the fantastic four here. Yeah. And how every night he hoses it down with a chemical vapor that prevents things catching on fire, I guess. So like he has so little control, he can't just hang out in his room without worrying about catching it on fire, I guess. Yeah. But I, he had the ability to create, like, clones of himself in Strange Tales 101 and shoot little bursts of, you know, flame balls and stuff like that. I don't know that we've seen that he can turn off the fire, but I know eventually he just, like, controls flame, doesn't he? Off and on. Yeah, he becomes, he becomes sort of a fire elemental. Right. So, at some point, like, this whole Abestos thing can just go away because if he accidentally caught his bed on fire, he could also turn it off. Right. Just pull the fire back into himself or something. Yeah. So, interesting. But yeah, I'm, I like this story and this issue a lot more than Kurgo, but I think Puppet Master is really kind of silly. And all the stuff with him in this is inconsistent and silly. But I like Alicia. 
I don't know when she comes back. I don't know when her second appearance is. If it's before his second appearance, which is um, issue 14, um, if they're going to bring her back before that, or if they're going to, like, if they don't get a, that idea until later. Right. Um, she comes in Fantastic Four number nine, according to Mike's Amazing World of DC. Oh, so she is definitely brought in here as a love interest and supporting character because she'll be back next issue. Okay. Now, what's interesting is Mike's Amazing World of DC has never had Marvel characters before. So now all of a sudden they're showing up. There's only three appearances for Alicia on here. So he's probably working his way through the years. Maybe. So we yeah. got, I got eight, nine, and ten she's going to be in. Whether she continues after that, I don't know. Well, I've got the uh, complete Marvel reading order, so I can corroborate that here in just a second. But yeah, okay. I didn't realize that she was going to be back in the very next issue. I'm glad because they really set it up that, you know, this girl likes the thing and he kind of likes that she likes him at least. So Mm -hmm. I'd hate for her to just disappear for 10 years and then suddenly show up again as like a florist or something. She is in almost every issue for a good while to come. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, that is the Fantastic Four, and we definitely have more time for another comic. So we have next up is Journey into Mystery. What is it, 86 now? 86. How can I defeat the Tomorrow Man when he can fade into a different year before I can reach him? Dun, 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 dun. I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how right now. Journey into Mystery, number 86. Which came out in August, right? We already just September. Oh, oh September. wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. We can't do Journey into Mystery yet. Why? We have to do our top and bottom picks for August. Oh, well, let's do that. So uh, uh, <laughs> there are only four options. Okay. Um, we have the, the debut of Loki. We have Ant-Man versus the Protector. We have Puppet Master and the Fantastic Four. And we have the Wizard with the Torch. Okay. Jeez. I'm going to say Ant-Man's my least favorite because it's just not working for me. And this particular issue felt a little repetitive on the whole Ant gimmick and the Scooby-Doo ending gimmick. Mm-hmm. And like we've said, Hank just has is just has no character right now. So as much as like Puppet Master frustrates me, at least there's the Alicia vibe and the the characterizations of the core members amongst themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and my favorite is going to be Journey into Mystery number 85, even though Thor threw Loki back to Asgard in the end of it. It was fun to see Loki and Asgard. And uh, uh, yeah, I just, I'm enjoying Thor right now. I don't know why, particularly, other than it's just a bunch of fighting, and I kind of like the fighting. Well, you know, it's, it's that, that was a pretty solid issue. I mean, uh, and bringing in Loki, I mean, he's sort of symbolic, so. Mm-hmm. Um, from my bottom, I'm also going to say Ant-Man. Um, the wizard story. Um, Good choice also. Well, between the two. But at least at least that story introduces the wizard, which we know will be a big player someday. So that's got that going for him. For it. And like the wizard was kind of cool for five pages. Like he's this like swank dude who's got all this like stuff and he's an inventor. And yeah. He's go- he goes after the Human Torch for no reason, and there's some dumb stuff. I don't know, because the Ant-Man, like, the only thing that bothered me about the Ant-Man story was, like, the Ant stuff got redundant. I actually kind of dug the... Okay, never mind. Midway vote change. I'm putting the Torch on the bottom. Okay. Um, That's fair. And then I'm going to put Fantastic Four Puppet Master on top um, because of all the stuff with Alicia. Um I think that there's a lot of really cool drama going on in that story, aside from the fantastic the the puppet master being kinda dumb. And while I like the Loki Thor issue, I kind of skimmed a lot of the back half of it, which I did not do with Fantastic Four. That's another thing I can kind of tell if I like something is how much I skim. Yeah, I mean both of them have pretty dumb plots, so I guess it's just a matter of what was more exciting visually, I suppose. I just think Kirby by draw, the, draws Thor really awesome for some reason. By the way, I am keeping track of our votes. Oh, wow. So at, at the end of the year, uh, the, you know, the comic book year, I will tell you how much we chose, like what we chose as most enjoyed and least enjoyed. Okay. Overall. Or what titles got the most yes votes, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which title got the most yes votes, which title got the most no votes. Okay. So, That's um, cool. I don't want to influence your voting along the no. way. But at the end of the year, I'll let you know where we are. I'm going to change my least favorite to Strange Tales now. 
<laughs> just to give it more <laughs> negative votes. Just no. to give it more votes. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, Ant-Man. Okay. But on to September 1962. Yeah, and this is going to be September uh, 4th. First up, we got Journey into Mystery number 86 with Thor taking on the Tomorrow Man. And here we go. My turn. No looking. We got the opening starts us out into three centuries into our future in a world where everybody's getting along and there's no more fighting or weapons. I guess everybody's just milk toast now, essentially. And this one guy, and I don't know if he has a name, but he'll eventually be called Tomorrow Man, is sick of it. Uh, he wants to take over the world. He wants a little action. He wants a little drama. He wants a little bad injected back into society. So he invents a time machine and with the intention of going back in time and stealing one of Earth's uh, bombs because in his world, there's no weapons. So he happens to pick a bomb that's being tested by the military with the aid of Thor. So Thor is helping them, you know, make this bomb faster and stronger. And uh, Thor is standing there waiting to uh, do another test when the Tomorrow Man shows up, jumps out of his little time ship, grabs the bomb, jumps back in and gets away before Thor can stop him. The only thing Thor can do is he throws his hammer at the the time machine ship thing and he manages to chip off a little piece but that's it before the guy disappears so the military is like wow this chip piece is like made of metal that i've never seen before so must be from the future because the past has no time traveling ability right so it has to be the future so thor's like well i'll take care of this business and he goes to the top of a mountain and starts a choreographed thunderstorm of some type and says, Father, hear me. And then, like, Mufasa shows up in the clouds and says, my son. No, uh, Odin <laughs> shows up in the clouds and says, my son, what can I do for you? And Thor says, give me the power of time travel. And, he, and Odin's like, dude, you already got the power of time travel. Just tie that chip on your Uru hammer and then spin it so fast that you achieve uh, fourth dimensional powers. So that's exactly what he does, and I guess the chip zeroes him in exactly where he needs to go, and he ends up three centuries into the future where he finds that the Tomorrow Man has already taken over his world because he's the only one with a weapon. The C-bomb, I think they called it. Um, For cobalt. Oh, okay, the cobalt bomb. And so all the people are like, wow, who are you? You're hot. And he's like, I am Thor, and I'm here to stop this guy. And they're like, thank you, because he is really ruining our lives. We have to do everything he says. So Thor attacks the Tomorrow Man's lair, and there's a bunch of hijinks. Like he kind of does a double, or I can't. Oh, he makes one of the like people he just friends like dress up like Thor, so that when the Tomorrow Man throws him into like this mirror magnet glass tank thing, it's not really Thor; it's like somebody else. And then Thor getting thrashed around violently. Yeah. He lets somebody else die on his behalf, essentially. <laughs> no, he rescues him. But like <laughs> anyway, and then the Tomorrow Man goes egats. I got to keep running. And then he like throws a couple like these huge robots at Thor who take his hammer. But Thor manages to like punch through the ground and pull out the water mains and stuff and get the robots all wet. And just the nick of time before he gets his hammer back so he doesn't change back into puny old uh, Donald Blake. And then, oh, yeah. So then the Tomorrow Man jumps in a ship or something and he's trying to fly away and he's going to he's decided, forget this. I'm going to detonate this bomb. Ruling's not enough. I'm just going to destroy everybody. And Thor taps his hammer and creates bad weather and makes the ship, like, fly all over the place and jump upside down and crash, essentially. Before it crashes, the bomb falls out and Thor catches it. And the Tomorrow Man is so jumbled when he comes out, he can't even remember who he is. And then uh, Thor goes back to his own time, gives them the bomb, and then goes back to work as Donald Blake, where Jane Foster says, did you see the news and how Thor is so awesome and you're not? And Donald's like, well, it depends on what you read or something like that. Something like that. Something like that. Then George Reeves winks to the audience. The end. Do, 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 do. Don Blake. Yeah. So I remember this issue um, back when I was doing the Avengers Inspiration show with Lily when she was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started when she was 10 and Keenan was a little baby. He was four years old, and he saw his podcast, and he wanted to come help. Mm-hmm. And he did really well for a four-year-old. He he looked at the story pages with us, and he made some comments about it, how um, the old bald head guy looked like Lex Luthor. And uh, it was super cute. 
and then he got bored and went to bed. So, um, yeah. Well, he just, every time I see this cover, I think, oh, that was one with Keenan. He just made an observation that totally falls in line with what I was going to say, but I didn't even notice yeah. the bald part. Is I said it in the last time we read Thor that obviously Stan kind of wants Thor to be Superman, uh-huh. but this is so much a Superman story. This is a very Superman story. And the bad guy is Lex Luthor. Gosh, Keenan, you totally schooled me because I didn't even notice that part. I was just thinking about <laughs> the part about time traveling and, you know, Thor being Superman, essentially. Now, this was the issue that I noticed that Larry Lieber was doing the scripting. So he's definitely doing more scripting in place of Stan. Mm-hmm. So, but it's still Jack Kirby um, on the art. Yeah. For however much longer that will last. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this is this is definitely a Superman story, and it's a you know future scientist Lex Luthor. So, so I feel the, like the tem- let's bring up Star Trek because we haven't in a while. Okay. I feel like I can't think of a specific episode per se, but I feel like there was some themes in the original series where the theme was pretty much like Jim Kirk telling everybody to grow a pair. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I've killed like, your computer overlord. Now right. Grow up okay. There. Else. There you go. There's one episode. But there was there was other ones like that seemed to be a reoccurring theme that in the future. Oh, the cage, for instance, in the future, we get so advanced that we just don't even know how to like deal anymore or do mm-hmm. things anymore. And here we have this three centuries in the future where it's, you know, apparently a paradise. So that's fine. You know, they do have ships and they do have you know, buildings and stuff. They're not just laying around wasting away, but they're also taken over by this one guy who has one bomb um, and they don't know what to do about it. And I'm wondering if in the sixties, was that just like a thing people were worried about? It was becoming too advanced to where we just become useless. Maybe um, because you do have a lot of, I mean, that's the beginning of a lot of simplifying home life. Mm -hmm. I mean, the 1950s, is when like TV dinners and easy make food started to become a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. pre- pre-packaged dinners versus every single thing you eat being made from fresh products bought at the market either that day or that week. Right. So um, I, I can see that. I can also see, you know, he has one bomb that he uses to dominate the world. And in 1962, with the Cold War, whoever has the most bombs is the one who's in, you know, gonna gonna win this thing. Oh, that's so. Yeah. In a world with no bombs, the man with one bomb is king. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I like that aspect of it. Now, the Tomorrow Man is one of those villains that like I associate strongly with Thor, uh-huh. and I feel like he should have made more appearances, but he really doesn't. He has two in this era. We're gonna see him one more time. And then a couple of multi-part stories in the 70s. And then the 90s, he comes back, you know, a number of times, including, like, I saw, like, a year-long run of issues of the Fantastic Four that had appearances of the... the, So, I don't know what that's all about. See, to me, Um, that makes more sense. Yeah, with the the time travel and everything? Yeah. Like, that's why I don't... I kind of don't get that Stan wants Thor to be Superman, other than Superman is apparently... is obviously very popular in 1962. But, Mm -hmm. like... Your origins of Thor are literally mythological Norse gods. So this story seems in a way like just like it doesn't quite play with this character the way it would if it was the Fantastic Four or anybody or Iron Man even or anybody with a science background of some kind would be more interesting in terms of like traveling. Actually, I think he even says I've constructed the first time machine and I immediately thought, yeah, well, what about Doctor Doom and Fantastic Four? So. Uh, you know, that, that works for the Fantastic Four, traveling in time. And it's like, I feel like Thor traveling in time and Thor helping the government test bullets or test rockets um, because he wants to make sure, what does he say? It's so horrible. It's so Superman worded. It's, I want to be happy to play my part in keeping the free world strong and secure against the forces of tyranny. Right. You know, like he's a Norse God like, fighting for democracy. You're a God. You're all about tyranny. You know, like. That just doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Although he is also Donald Blake, so I guess he could be talking as a human, but still. Uh, well, so what Stan and Jack have done is they've avoided the Captain Marvel problem. They have a character who's who doesn't look like Superman. No. And has enough gimmicky, like, for instance, he doesn't fly. He throws his hammer and grabs the thong. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That now he can tell Superman stories. 
with this character sued. who doesn't look like Superman. Right. Without getting sued, right. Yeah. Um, the Fawcett trials are less than a decade in the past at this point. Yeah. It's just, it just doesn't quite gel. I mean, I enjoyed the story. It was fun. But like, mm-hmm. I also felt like it seemed like Thor was out of place in it. Yeah. He's the last person that I would send to the future to fix the timeline or whatever. That's like a Flash story or a Superman story. Fantastic Four works. I don't know. Well, you know, Thor, I mean, okay, so Thor is going to have a lot of sci-fi stuff going on with him. He does go into space for long stretches at a time. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, you could argue, and the MCU kind of argues this, that Asgard is just technologically so advanced, they seem like gods. Right. So... I, I think they sense. do keep the mythological aspect in the comics, but yeah, they, they kind of play with it to the extent where it doesn't really, it's, it's almost an in name only sometimes. Right. Um, and, if, and speaking of, he calls his dad in this issue. Like, yes. This is our first indication of Thor having communication with his father. And he knows how to do it. Right. So again. Or he just, or he just tries something. Well, that's a mate. He tries one thing and it works. Uh, I guess he doesn't really do anything specific. I thought he, for some reason, I thought it described it like as a, very, a specific ritual. But he just makes it rain and then says, "Look, it's your son, it's your son Thor. Come help me." So I guess he doesn't really yeah. do anything particularly. But. He calls the storm and then just cries out to his dad. Yeah, and his dad oddly doesn't say like, "Where have you been?" Right, because um, he has been gone from Asgard for some time, like we said last. Uh, yeah, last time we talked about Thor last episode. I don't know, but. Uh, we also said that Odin probably knows where he's been, so that makes that that works. That seems consistent. Yeah. Um, so reading through this story, and I don't have a whole lot of specific comments, but no. Since it is a time travel story, mm-hmm. as I was reading through, first of all, there's a part on page seven, the bottom row, where Zarko's like, "Guards, seize that!" And his name is Zarko, by the way. They do. Oh, the name. okay. Guard sees that man, and one guy's like, "Are we still? Do we still have to listen to this jerk?" And the other guy's like, "I <laughs> yeah. guess so." Yeah, he's gonna kill us if we don't. Well, I mean, so. we don't have guns or anything, but sure, let's go after him. Right. There's the part where Thor is running, and there's a shadowy figure behind him. Mm-hmm. And I was reading this; I had forgotten how this actually played out. I was hoping that would be like another Thor from slightly later in the timeline. Oh my he, god, that is exactly what I was himself. thinking. Yeah. yeah? Yes. And it's not that cool. No. It doesn't do that. It's just some dude pretending to be Thor who gets bashed around the building. Yeah. Welcome to my room of magnet magnets, magnetic mirrors. And then, yeah, he just he just gets thrown around. The miracles of magnetism. Mm-hmm. Um, he shoots Thor with a, de- uh, a Delta electron gun, which will send you into another dimension from which you can never escape. Mm-hmm. And Thor blows really hard. So, so you know, you know what pierces dimensions? Big wind. He also blew really hard in '85. That sounds really horrible. But in eighty number '85, I forgot to say Loki like tried to throw a tarp on him or something. Uh-huh. And I thought when I read the saw the panel, he was using his power of the weather to blow it off him. But then if you look, like his cheeks are all puffed, and he's literally just blowing the thing off. Just him. blowing. And so it's like, yeah, Thor now has he's- super breath. Like like the giant cloud people who like blow the wind mm-hmm. in cartoons or, and whatever, or That's Superman, yeah, or Superman. He is using his super breath. You are right, yeah. Um, and on page ten, whenever one of the robots grabs his hammer, mm-hmm. he has a minute to figure out what he's going to do. So what he does, like you described, he tears up the floor, finds the water main. Luckily, it's right there. It could have not been right there. Yeah, and he sprays the robots with water. Yeah, what would have been better. He could have filled just as many panels. It would be visually more gratifying is if he grabbed one of those hammer, uh, one of those uh, robots yeah. by the feet, yeah. swung it around in circles, and threw it at the one that had his hammer. Right, and the hammer falls on the ground, and he picks it up. I will say that I agree with you. I thought it would have been way cooler if he just like beat them without his hammer because he's super strong. And why the heck can't he? Right. Um, but I will say that I do like the countdown. I thought that was pretty cool. The tense countdown was a nice touch. Yes. It actually made me feel a little, I'm not going to say a lot of pressure because it was just a comic book and whatever, but I, I did mm-hmm. feel, it did make it feel a little more important that he get this done by the time they got to three, two, one. Um, and also I thought, here's the whole elevator argument again, because a robot lifted his hammer. Oh, uh, yeah. But we haven't established that it has to be a worthy thing. So obviously this robot is just as strong as Thor, you could argue, in 1962. Uh, right. Or, if it is a worthy thing, which it'll be retconned into later, you could argue 
that, you know, put Thor's hammer in an elevator, elevator still goes up, elevator's not worthy. Yeah. So it's a robot thing. Maybe the vision it's, it's a, is just a robot thing. It's a robot thing. thing. The vision, well, it's, it's different for, I don't know, because the, the vision seems to have a soul. The vision seems to be a yeah, person. Yeah, true. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I I like the idea of the vision being worthy. Uh, I don't know why I like that. He's not that pure in the comics. He's just a cool character. Well, he wasn't uh, created by Thor in the comics either. So maybe that has something yeah. to do with it. It's like his baby. But this was this was a fun issue. This was of all the Thor issues we've had so far. Mm-hmm. I really liked this one. Yeah, I did too. Uh, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say more than the others, but um, this was good. Um, oh, if only there were I no... could work for Thor instead of colorless Doctor Blake. I, Are we allowed to say colorless? I hate you so much. Yeah, she's so horrible. Wow. And uh, am I right? Does it feel like does it feel like calling him boring is code for calling him out for being weak? Yeah. What does colorless even mean? Like he just has no personality? Yeah. Okay. Or that he's white. Was was Lois ever this mean? I guess she was. But Yes, yes. I mean, Lois was not as shrewish as the stereotype of Lois implies. I mean, she occasionally was, mm-hmm. but it was not a regular thing for her. Yeah. Adult Lana is a lot rougher on Clark than Lois ever was. See, that this um, is where I don't ever understand why this is so fun. For people, because to me, it's like you're purposely ruining a character. Because as with Lois, unless she's walking that perfect tightrope of, you know, being kind of nice, but kind of not nice, like we want people to like Clark Kent. We're a fan Mm -hmm. of Clark Kent. We're reading Superman because we like Clark Kent. And there's this character going around, you know, busting Clark Kent all the time because they like Superman better. And you kind of don't like that character. And I mean, in the initial conception, you weren't supposed to. Right. Because Lois Lane was supposed to embody Siegel's and Schuster's difficulties with women growing up as being somewhat nerdy, you know, ostracized kids. Mm -hmm. So the idea of Clark Kent is the nerdy kid, Superman is the buff strong man, and Lois Lane is the woman who rejects the one in favor of the other. Right. She's the shallow woman. that is the stereotype of social dynamics in high school. Right. And that's what Lois Lane was initially conceived to be. Uh-huh. Um, so you're not supposed to like that character. <laughs> but eventually we are. And, and then they still have to play that way to a degree. What's going to be crazier, though, is when we get to Amazing Spider-Man and Betty Brant, A, has more depth, but B is also just as... I can can be just as mean. rejecting yeah. and crazy and mean, and so it's it's even harder to accept because she's more of a person. You know what? And I, yet she's. You know what else is uh, much like the engagement? They haven't really talked about uh, Donald even liking her anymore. You know they they have left that off. So um, maybe now that he's Thor, he's got better things to do than pine over a woman who has no interest in him. I would. Yeah. Really. It does we want to go back and flip through the last couple pages of the previous. I mean, the previous issue, she's like, imagine the God of Thunder. Our lives must seem so ordinary and dull. And he says, well, uh, it's all in your point of view. Yeah. And you could construe that as being resentful, but it's not It's not written that way. Right. Well, we don't really get a lot of Donald Blake since the first couple issues either. So yeah. other, other than the Superman Lois Lane ending. Every issue. It has been every issue now. Yeah. Like the first issue, we get Donald on vacation. Second issue, we get Donald being a doctor in another country. And now it's just been like Thor, Thor, Thor. And Donald's in the end going, that wasn't me. But anyways, yep. um, we, we uh, wrapped that one up, I think. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, we have definitely passed our hour mark. So that'll be it for this episode. And Where can they find note. us? They can, yeah. they can find us at makeoursmarvel.com where we have the links to everything, our social media, Facebook, Google+, Twitter. We also, I keep forgetting to mention, have a YouTube account where you can listen to the show via YouTube for anybody who finds that interesting. Uh, I don't know that we're really sure that that's something anybody cares about. We're going to do it for a while. And if nothing happens, then maybe we'll stop doing it. But it's there for now. If you're interested in that as an option, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and hear our podcast that way. Um, there's also a contact form or you could just email us directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. 
and wanted to send some thanks out for people who've been supporting the show uh, through Facebook and Twitter. They've been liking or following us on Facebook and then following us on Twitter. So many thanks to go out to Brian Voss, who's been a follower of a lot of my shows for, for, for a very long time. Mark Adams of the Mark's Mess podcast. Kristen, you know, Chris, I've never heard your name. I'm going to go with the Hispanic pronunciation, say Paras. Um, she uh, has been a, a really great friend for several years. Her husband, Eddie D'Angelini, I met at San Diego Comic-Con. I met both of them at San Diego Comic-Con. But Eddie was on my Spider-Man show once. Mm. He, uh, at one point in time, had the um, claim to fame of owning every single Amazing Spider-Man issue. Well, let's see if he kept he then, that up. That'd be awesome. Well, he, he sold a lot of it to build up capital to open up his own comic store. So they are now the joint owners of Heidi Ho Comics in, oh. I think, San Diego or somewhere over in California. Also, Sean Strawbridge, Michael Scudurlo, Galtam Shioran, Douglas Meacham, Scott McElroy. They are all following us or liking us on Facebook. And over on Twitter, we have A. Han and the Hammer Strikes podcast, which you would think would be a Thor podcast, yes. but it's not. What? It's, it's like Hammer Films. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. I don't um, think I've ever I seen those. If I'm wrong... Then I, I apologize, but his uh, Twitter handle says the th- Hammer Strikes random geeky stuff. Um, I think he has like several different podcasts on his website. Le- um, the Two True Freaks network of podcasts. Thank you for giving us your support. Between the Pages, Ed Moore, who also has his own Thorcast, the Mighty Thorcast that he does with his wife. Retropolis Tees, a t-shirt company, has followed us on Twitter. I wonder if they're going to withdraw that follow at some point. Thomas Elsby. Um, my daughter, Lily Wilson, followed us on Twitter and Dallin Baumgarten, who, um, is a professional musician and a comic book nerd. And yes. So thank you all of you for your support on the Facebooks and the Twitters. Anytime you share out or retweet our links to our stuff, we very much appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So until Johnny Storm falls in love with that woman who looks just like his sister, Make ours marvel. marvel.